0: On ABC Radio, you are with Rod Quinn. It is time now to cross to Boston. Beantown, they call it. Celeste Katz Marston is there our UK or US correspondent, sorry. Uh, Celeste, good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Okay, so you've had your inauguration. Um, it went off perfectly, you'd have to say, without a hitch. None of the problems of a couple of weeks ago, despite many people thinking that maybe you know state houses or the Capitol might be stormed again. That didn't happen. What did you think of the inauguration?
1: I was very glad to see, as you said, that it was very peaceful. That the uh, the peaceful transition of power remains. Uh, our tradition and our custom here in the United States. And uh, we have a new president and he has a lot of work to do and he started doing that work
0: already. So uh, day one, he did a lot. In fact, uh, we can hear a little bit of uh, what he did on day one.
2: I thought with the state of the nation today is no time to waste, get to work immediately. And the first order I'm going to be signing here relates to uh, COVID and uh, it's requiring, as I said all along, um, where, where I have authority, mandating masks be worn, social distancing be kept. So this is the first one I'm signing. The second one I'm signing here is the uh, support for uh, underserved communities as it relates to how we treat people and healthcare and other things. And the third one I'm gonna sign and that's what we do while you're all here, is uh, the commitment I made that we're going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord uh, as of uh, as of today?
0: So, some things he can do without referring to Congress, he just does it with, as they say, the stroke of a presidential pen. What did he do? What were the first things that he did, Celeste?
1: Yeah, a lot of the things that uh, that you described there, he. Uh, uh, rejoined the Paris Climate Accords, uh, rejoined the World Health Organization, which is a really big one. Uh, the, the Trump administration had pulled out of cooperation with the WHO uh, over the COVID crisis, and Biden is saying that uh, we are going to be rejoining the international community. Um, you know, Obviously, he couldn't resign every single thing that he wanted to do uh, in the first few hours of his presidency, but I think he wanted to make a real point that Um, A lot of the things that um, that he didn't agree with, that his supporters didn't agree with um, from protecting uh, the children of uh, uh, immigrants who came to the United States and uh, had babies here um, to how people are treated at the border uh, and so on. You know, a lot of those things he really wants to do uh, basically a 180 on a lot of the Trump administration policies. And again, as you said, those are things that he can do. By executive order, uh, without uh, approval from uh, from both houses of Congress.
0: What was the most important, you think? I mean, the the whole idea of you know, the hundred days of mask wearing. I mean, how is that going to be enforced? That's only on federal property, isn't it? That's anyone else around the country doesn't have to take any notice of that.
1: I think. Yeah, you're right. That is only that only applies on federal land, states as you know here, have a great latitude to make their own rules. But uh, one of the things that he might be able to do is something that he doesn't have to do with a pen, but uh, does by leading by example. If you don't have um, uh, the president, uh, the vice president, and uh, major leaders of the cabinet or of important departments in the government walking around not social distancing, not wearing masks, not taking precautions, um, having large uh, in-person gatherings. Uh, you know the the inauguration itself for a couple of reasons, one because of the the mass unrest, the violence that we saw at our capital, but uh, you know also because of the conditions of the pandemic, you know we had a very unusual inauguration. It, it went off well without, without disruption and violence, but it wasn't what we were used to. Um, with, uh, thousands upon thousands of people gathered on the national mall, instead we had flags, um, planted in the national mall to represent the people, to represent the, uh, um, the witnesses to the change of power. Then it was weird. I mean, I have covered, um, the last three inaugurations in person. I covered both Obama inauguration and I covered the Trump inauguration. And so it is a very different experience for people who go there or for people who are witnessing it to not see sort of throngs of Americans standing there bearing witness to this very important part of our democracy. But um, I think the Biden administration, um, along with Vice President Harris, is really setting a tone from the absolute get-go that we have to be careful. We are coming into what... Um, Biden has called a dark winter when it comes to the pandemic and um, anything that he can do to show that we have to be careful, that we have to um, be cautious until a vaccine is widely available, he's, he's going to do. And he started that from his very first day as president.
2: This is what he had to say. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured.
0: Mm. So, I mean, that's a direct hit at uh, the former president, uh, who, as we know, didn't turn up. It's a direct hit at uh, the media as well. How is it? I mean, are we now at the point, though, that... American, you know, politics and society is so divided there's no way that there's any president is ever going to draw these people together. I mean, I was kind of thinking the last president who did it was probably Reagan. Um even though I mean there's a lot of reasons not to like Ronald Reagan. But you know, he did have that sort of thing. He was able to draw people together. He won forty nine states uh when he was reelected in um nineteen eighty four. So he he did have that you know, cross-party support. Um, How does Biden find that?
1: It's a great question, and I think that he better come up with an answer to it pretty quick. Yeah, there are millions of people in this country, um, tens of millions of people, actually, who voted for Donald Trump. Um, There are still a lingering number of people who believe that the election wasn't valid, even though it was. Um, Just want to emphasize the part about it was valid. Um, and there are people who just, uh, even if they believe the election is valid, as it was, um, they don't like his policies. They liked what President Trump was doing. It's going to take some work to uh, convince those people to consider at least another point of view, if not cleave to it, and basically the only answers to that are time and example. If people see that their lives are getting better, if they see the effects of the pandemic alleviated, if they see the economy turning around, if they see that people are getting the, uh, the social services that they need, uh, that kind of thing. I think that will go a long way towards convincing people that, you know, maybe Joe Biden isn't the worst thing that ever happened to them, but it will take some time.
0: What did you think of his inaugural address because there have been some great ones over the years. I don't know that this one was right up there. Maybe it needed some people cheering. Uh, there were some Kennedy-esque elements to it, but beyond that, what did you make of it?
1: Look, I mean, there, there definitely is a big difference between giving a uh, speech to a large crowd. Donald Trump, for example, lived off of his uh, his rally crowds and the energy and the interaction that those provided... Uh, There's no question about that. But this speech was very much of a moment. Um, This is a country, uh, as much as it pains me and other Americans to admit it, is a country in crisis. We have just been through an extremely divisive uh, political era. We are still in the grips of the coronavirus. Our economy was badly damaged by everything that went along with that. Um, So I think that Biden's speech... Um, whether or not it was uh, perhaps as poetic or as moving or as compelling as other speeches we may have heard, um, was very much there to do a job. And um, I think for the most part, he very much stuck to uh, the job he was trying to do, the message he was trying to convey, which is that this is a time for people to come together. This country has a lot of problems, and we are not going to solve them by continuing division and suspicion uh, and anger and violence, um, especially. I'm sorry that we have to say that, but considering what happened uh, at our nation's capital just two weeks ago, um, it is a good thing to see the peaceful transition of power. Um, The the former president, obviously Donald Trump, did not bother to attend the, uh, the ceremony, but his vice president, Mike Pence, did. Um, but so in terms of Biden's speech, um, you know, is, is Biden known as uh, is he in the, the pantheon of uh, of great orators of our time? Maybe not. No. But he was there to do a job and he was there to say, essentially, this is no time for inter-party squabbling or for ethnic strife. Uh, you know, on top of everything else that we've gone through, this country has gone through a major, major racial reckoning. Um, that really uh, came to a boil in 2020 about uh, police brutality, racial justice, social justice. Um, This country has a lot of problems that it needs to deal with. Can't solve them all at once, but I think he wanted to keep the focus there. And I do think he was successful uh, in doing that. Just the mere matter of him being able to stand there peacefully and give that speech and take power as president of the United States is a big deal. Things that didn't used to be that big of a deal or generally haven't over our history now are. So he went there to do a job, and I would say generally he did it.
0: You know, a lot of countries in the world, not the majority, but a lot of countries in the world are able to have peaceful transitions of power. It happens, you know, every couple of years maybe or every decade or so in Australia. It happens throughout most of Western Europe. It It happens in North America, it happens in Australia and New Zealand and other parts of the country. It's no big deal for America to do it. It's not like they're the only shining beacon of democracy in the world, but that's the way they like to see it. And yet two weeks ago you had you know, this armed mob... You know, it looked like it was this shambles, but in fact now it appears as as a, you know evidence comes out that maybe they were being directed and they actually had plans about what they wanted to do. We'll never know, perhaps, until people go on trial. But you know, the U.S. is now not in a position where they can lecture the rest of the world about how democracy is transferred seamlessly or quietly, uh, or power is 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 uh, transferred under a democracy. Surely.
1: And, I, and while while I can't tell you how much that that uh, assessment warms my heart, no, it's sad. It's terrible. <laughs> Look, you know, as 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 we were just discussing, I mean, Joe Biden's inaugural speech was not sort of we're building on what what's been going so well. I mean, he is talking about a country that is in a moment of real reckoning and real crisis. I think that not shying away from that was very important um you know other other presidents or other leaders uh, of other nations may use uh, these kinds of speeches to talk up their own finer points or to gloss over the problems i don't think that joe biden did that he did sound a message of hope it wasn't completely dour but he's saying that americans if they pull together will be able to overcome these problems and the you know the operative word in that sentence being Together, there can't be questions about the validity of the election, or there can't be questions about who, uh, you know, gets preferential treatment, and so on. That's just not how it's supposed to work. So I think that if his if his inauguration speech wasn't flashy, it didn't need to be. I think it needed to be grounded, and it needed to be calming, and it needed to be very much focused on ending the sort of division and ugliness that erupted. In, in our seat of government, which was, you know, very, very widely seen and certainly by me seen as a very sad day mm. in American history. But, you know, Americans have had other sad days in their history before country has fought a civil war. Um, you know, so it is not that we cannot come back from adversity. It's that we have to work very hard at it and work cooperatively Uh, were cooperatively at it to to get things
0: done. Now, you mentioned that uh, there wasn't a lot of poetry in the Biden speech, but luckily he did have a poet there who was able to sum up very much what you've just said.
1: We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country. Our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're
0: brave enough to be it. And there's Amanda Gorman, who is the Youth um, Poet Laureate in the United States, and she went from, you know, a few people knowing about her to all of a sudden being one of the biggest stars in the country. What an incredible performance.
1: Yeah, to see somebody so young, um, you know, being able to present her work that way, it is inspiring. And I think that the message is very much on point. And again, much like uh, what President Biden said, you know, that, that poem that was presented by our youth poet laureate does not gloss over the problems that we have. It, it, um, you know, it defines them. And it also sort of prescriptively talks about how we are going to be able to fix them. You know, spending a, spending a, a beautiful January morning talking about all the trouble we're in uh, without talking about ways to get out of it is not going to be useful nor inspiring. And so I think that both, um, both uh, a lot of the people that we heard from yesterday, whether it was um, at the Capitol, whether it was, uh, you know, even on, on television and mass media coverage and so on, really trying to turn the focus for at least one day. To, to addressing some of the, the problems and the strife that, that we've yeah. experienced. It's uh, not an accident, of course, that, you know, this is coming right after our celebration of Martin Luther King Day, uh, you know, the noted civil rights leader, who spoke very, um, very cogently about um, uh, nonviolent resistance and unity as a way to uh, to solve some of this nation's deepest
0: problems. Yeah. Now. The president or the old, the ex president, President Trump, is gone, but not forgotten because, I mean, we've talked about this many times in the past. The right of a president to issue pardons or commutations of sentences to convicted criminals or people who have not yet been convicted, maybe even charged, maybe not even charged with a crime. And he. Uh, did 143 of them on the last day or second last day of his presidency. And before people say, oh, well, he pardoned some Democrats as well, they were mostly Republicans. They were mostly people charged with what well, terrible crimes. I mean, Steve Bannon stole a million dollars from Trump supporters. That was, and he was pardoned. Uh, there was a Democrat, yes, former mayor of Detroit, uh, was also pardoned. He was serving a 28 year. Prison term for corruption charges. He also stole money and, and took bribes and all that sort of stuff. It just, to me and to everyone in Australia, defies belief that one person has the right to say, no, 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 you're serving a, a, a sentence for corruption or murder or something, I'm going to let you out. It just is not what I'm sure the founding fathers thought originally. And, you know, Trump claiming he's a constitutionalist, surely. Is not if he does stuff like this.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, the power of the the power of the president to pardon people is obviously, you know, it, it's enshrined, but it, it can be interpreted uh, very widely, to say the least. Some people use it to pardon people who have been. Um, you know who've been convicted of low-level drug offenses, and they're given clemency, clemency, or their sentences are commuted, and so on. Uh, maybe uh, to to show mercy on the behalf of the government, or maybe there are people who were uh, wrongly sentenced, or something like this. In other cases, they use it to pardon their friends. Uh, I think that you know, in some cases, uh, certainly Steve Bannon, a very close associate of the president's for a while, an architect of his his sort of Uh, philosophy and and the campaign that carried out that philosophy is getting a break here. Um, You know, there are um, there are a lot of people who got uh, pardons for being associated with uh, the Trump family, for example, for fundraising for Trump and so on. I think that the interesting thing about the pardons, uh, as far as we know, is that he did not pardon himself or uh, members of his immediate family, his children, um, which is I think what a lot of people were were looking for. But um, yeah, Trump has not has been fairly free uh, with using the pardon. To be fair, there have been other presidents who have pardoned many, many people, but again, sort of with a different theme or a different purpose. in mind, Um, almost similar to the way he gave out um, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, who a President pardons, who a President honours, tells you about them.
0: Certainly does. Just finally, before we go, in Massachusetts, tell us about your state seal, which is on the state flag of Massachusetts, because uh, finally they voted to change it. What was so bad about it? What was wrong with it?
1: Yeah, so a lot of flags um, and seals and official seals uh, in the United States, uh, including in the Northeast, where I've spent most of my life, uh, feature uh, some imagery of Native Americans. Um, Sometimes they feature them with, uh, you know, the early white settlers, sometimes alone. But uh, the Massachusetts seal has been um, a source of, of problems, criticism for quite a long time. It shows uh, a man dressed in, uh, you know, traditional sort of Native American or an interpretation of Native American clothing, I think in this case, um, Algonquin clothing. But above his head is an arm with a sword just hanging over his head. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't detect uh, graphic violence, although that would be subject to dispute, but the, um, the motto on the flag, which is Latin, or the motto on the field which is Latin, it says, by the sword we seek peace, but peace under liberty. And supposedly, uh, from, some, from some of what I read, the sword uh, that's being held over this uh, Native American man uh, is supposed to be the arm of Miles Standish who was a British officer who was hired by the pilgrims at uh, Plymouth the Colony, you know, here in Massachusetts, who killed hundreds of Native American people. Uh, so, you know, it's, the, the imagery is one of, of slaughter, or if you want to go further, of, of genocide against Native American people. So finally, after all this time, um, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is figuring out maybe this is not the hottest way to, to uh, portray our values. Uh, and it is time for a change. What the change will be is not quite clear yet, but a, a sword hanging over uh, a, over a Native American person or an indigenous person is probably not the way to go.
0: Yes, like a sword of Damocles almost. Yeah, really. But anyway, uh at least it's a step forward. After 300 years or so, uh, they might change it and get something better. Celeste, thank you very much. There's so much more we could talk about. We will, I'm sure, talk about it again in a couple of weeks. And thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Celeste Kat Marston in Boston.
1: Hmm.